want to go back to what you said there about how goats is more like a MOBA than an FPS, right? I was just mm -hmm. wondering, could you uh, could you like elaborate on that a little bit more about how it becomes more of a uh, MOBA than an FPS? So, goats versus goats interactions—they usually you walk up on the map, you see the enemy team, you choose a random corner on the map, and you just hold that corner, and then it becomes a game of cooldown management rather than outplay potential and positioning. So if you Zaya messes up a bubble and it comes out a second too early and the enemy team realizes, hey, that Zaya just bubbled a little bit early, they're going to run over you and punish you. So we're looking at a game just like MOBARS are, where you trade team versus team and you wait for the enemy team to mess up in a very specific cooldown timing, which gives you an opening to push in. Compared to other matters, if we think about double sniper, it was a lot about sniper players taking different angles and like popping out, clicking hats, and it was a lot more dynamic and about individual players rather than cooldown based and like super micro intensive. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely makes more sense how it forces a fundamental difference in how you have to look at the game, and I it does. From a broadcasting perspective, it does affect it. I, d I wouldn't go as far as to say that I found commentating over GOATs boring, but it requires a, a different appreciation, which you need to kind of nurture into your audience, mm -hmm. if you kind of understand. Because it it's like when you come out of a meta like Dive, pe everything is very visceral. And everyone yeah. can see it, and like you can immediately spot what's important because it's all dictated by who the hell is popping off with like a Genji blade or something, right? But then when it comes down to goats, it's the little things like the cooldown management that people need to be keeping an eye out, right? Because like, so for example, <clears throat> if a Brig armor pack is used too early and you don't have it for your Reinhardt, and the enemy team spots that, they can then focus the Reinhardt because there's no sudden burst healing in the composition unless they're running the Moira, right? It's like if you look for those things and you can make your audience understand the importance of that i think you can make it enjoyable still yeah I, I agree like goats can definitely be enjoyable but i think from a viewer perspective watching someone like striker pop off on tracer is going to be more enjoyable for the average viewer to watch than seeing like these small micro mistakes that an enemy team does enemy reinhardt gets discorded doesn't realize it fast enough it's not going behind cover to let the discord orb drop to then peek around the corner again it's like for me talking about goats and analyzing goats is still interesting to a certain degree but again you as a coach i feel like i have less impact on a goats team than i would have in any other meta where i can make up strategies rotations surprise enemy teams by playing compositions they don't necessarily expect me to play going for example i had reprise on Mayhem academy and he was usually responsible for doing like scouting reports and our scouting reports usually ended up being well yeah they play goats guys like that's what they play it's not very exciting there's not a lot of influence creativity and like your skill as a coach can come through and that's kind of what bothers me a bit like people say hey you win one and four but at the same time, we got the closest of all of the teams beating Fusion University. We went to map five against Uprising Academy. The only loss that I personally blame myself for is the loss against first gen. All the other games was us choking, if we're honest. Mm.
What 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 specifically about that matchup do you place blame on yourself for? Because I was so focused on trying to make my roster look good and try to kind of try to work around my roster a little bit more in week one that we practiced a lot of compositions. We were running a lot of like anti-dive and people were like, why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. We were having a shit ton of success with that in scrims. Like teams had absolutely no idea how to beat it until a certain point where they started to figure out slowly how to work against it and we started losing again. So we were kind of caught in the middle of the transition from transitioning to more of a dive, like DPS-based gameplay to GOATs, which takes time to build up. If Mayhem Academy would replay the season right now in GOATs, we would do way, way better, which is just a part of contenders. Five matches, you don't have time for growth whatsoever. You either perform and you happen to find the right like key to success from the get-go, or you lose. Do you think That's... that do you think that the mm-hmm. eight-week format is in that regard better then that we're moving into longer individual seasons, albeit having less of them next year? Yeah, I think it at least gives you an option to show, hey, my players are progressing. We can actually make something work. Towards the end of the season, we were looking pretty decent, but it was too late. Right. For example, if we would have won the Fusion Uni match, I'm pretty sure the entirety of Reddit would have looked at us completely different. We we would have been the first team to beat Fusion University out of all throughout like all contender seasons. And I think having eight matches or like eight weeks is at least gonna give you an opportunity to pull it back in a season if you start out bad. Matches are gonna have a little bit less impact. Well, here's the thing, right? You said that you would have been the first team to beat Fusion University. But I'd like to remind you of the Season 1 Atlantic Showdown and the mm. British Hurricane. <laughs> oh, come on. It's like, I'm still EU at heart, but that that whole match was not a fair representation of NA versus EU. So I'm looking forward to the events that were announced, the, the LAN tournaments, where we're going to have an actual Atlantic Showdown. Because Fusion University, sure, they were cocky. They were like, huh, who the fuck plays tank comms? You just pick a junk right and win, right? That's that's on them. You were cocky. You got shit on. Happens. But at the same time, they went to a best of seven. And right after, they had to play the match against British Hurricane compared to British Hurricane, who can sit back and relax and think about how to approach the match. So it was definitely not an even ground and not a fair representation of EU versus NA. Even though any EU player you ask, they're going to bring it up again and again and again. Even in five years, they're going to be like, hey, but we beat you guys on that match. So if you wanted to have a true Atlantic showdown, do you think the, the format that we're having this time around is going to be much better, where it is an entirely separate event where we're going to get more than just one team representing? we got two teams from each region. I think NA is getting three purely because, you know, NA West and East this time around. So mm-hmm. we have two from South America. Is that to you definitively just a better system and a better um, equator of skill? Yeah, I think it's gonna make it a lot fairer at least. And I think especially for all the minor regions, because obviously if you're in NA, all eyes are on you. Like everyone's looking at you. You get exposure for free. You don't even have to do anything for it. But for example, for a, a South American team coming into that into that Atlantic showdown and beating NA teams or beating EU teams or beating Korean teams is going to make, it's going to have a much, much higher impact 
than World Cup, for example, is going to have. Because World Cup, again, you mix and match players from different teams and you might not mix well. You know, it's not going to be the same thing as you are practicing with your roster for months for that tournament. You're going to show up in your best condition and you're going to have the opportunity to show who you are as a team, which might end up, you know, having more South American players or having more Australian players come into Overwatch League or into Academy teams. Like they are given an opportunity to actually show who they are in the best possible conditions they can they can have. For so, example So I was gonna say, like, is there any do you think that South America as a region could I know it's difficult to say, perform against the North American or European team? Because the interpretation I get from listening to people talk about South America is that there's one team that was head and shoulders above every other team and that was it, right? And when you're in that position, when mm -hmm. you're in a region and you're clearly the dominant one, but you're unable to practice against teams from other regions to potentially level up, you're starved of competition and ultimately starved of opportunity for growth. Do you think it's even viable that a South American team could perform against Europe or NA at this kind of event? It's absolutely possible. I mean, that we have no evidence that shows us otherwise, right? There's no similar event. We can't know how a team is going to perform. Look look at Trill, who came from Australian contenders, from a minor region where everyone's kind of like, eh, it's Australian contenders. It's way too easy, right? But he has been performing well all throughout NA contenders, going up against Overwatch League level main tanks. So as, as long as there's even re the remote chance of finding these players, why not? It's very possible. Even if, even if a South American team comes into that tournament, and they don't perform and they lose, at least as an individual player, you have the opportunity to show, hey, I'm pretty good. I can go head to head with these players. Just because I'm from South America doesn't mean I can't, right? I don't think anyone's, I don't, for the most part, I think if you have, you know, anything beyond a chimp brain, you can see that there is definitely, every region is definitely going to have some kind of individual potential. They, just because, you know, we don't, we, we kind of like have two tiers of contenders regions where we basically go <clears throat> you basically go we have europe na korea and china obviously there's differences between them as like where they sit on top of each other but then like mm -hmm. we look at like a lesser divide as oceanic pacific and south america after that that kind of split in how contenders regions are treated shall we say, on that definitive skill. It has had negative impact on players, but like you said, players like Trill, who can then almost break through that uh, subjective barrier that everyone has and then perform in that upper echelon of contenders, prove that there's individual talent in these regions. It's just that I have think that these regions have problem problems bringing all of that great individual talent together. Mm -hmm. Of course, that could completely go out the window if they just rock out at like Gauntlet and and the pacific or atlantic showdown and just smash everyone then you know kind of like overwatch in the contenders region in itself gets flipped upside down because what everyone assumes to be true is now suddenly proven otherwise mm -hmm. yeah let's just if we take let's say look at water in pacific contenders he played on on the korean team ge panferon i think and he's like Kefri played on yeah, the, the Caffrey team. And he's been like an outstanding player from that roster as a flex DPS. But for 
for someone who works for an Overwatch League team now, it's like if I look at that player, it's like, yeah, he's been forming extremely well in Pacific Contenders, but at the same time, it's Pacific Contenders. Like, how is he going to perform in NA Contenders? How is he going to perform against Overwatch League players? And as long as that kind of bias or kind of thought in your head is there, you can't really compare him properly to someone who performed in NA Contenders. So having a tournament where he can show up and show up with his team and be like, hey, that's me. I can perform against other regions as well. It's going to completely erase all the doubt anyone is going to have about him. And do it's going to up like his market value as a player a lot more. Do you feel as though the the strength of regions, if we look at it from an individual basis, is entirely dictated by the saturation of talent more than just like how much there is? Because if the talent is concentrated enough, and I mean like it's put up to like the top maybe two or four, two or three teams on an individual mm-hmm. basis, we technically see the region as stronger. Like Element Mystic, for example, in Korea was touted as the best team in Korea, right? And they mm-hmm. were definitively saying this is a roster that could challenge Overwatch League teams. Yeah. And then you also have like Runaway as well, who obviously ended up winning it. And a lot of people pegged that as an upset victory under the circumstances. But there are lots of teams in Korea that aren't really strong, I get the impression. And it's the same with a lot of other regions. I mean, you were in Europe. You know how big the divide is between the top and bottom of Europe. If you look at results-based, for example, mm-hmm. and the cons- on a consistently uh, consistency level. So would you say that it's more about, not quantity, it's more about how condensed the, the talent is to make these extraordinary teams that pop off and elevate the region as a whole? Yeah, I think it's definitely about like condensing talent. Like people look at Korea as like the mecca of Overwatch and it's like, the only reason why Korea looks so good as a region is, if you think about it, let's say you take 10 players and let's say in Korea, there's going to be five out of 10 players are going to be good, where you're going to look at them and be like, yeah, they could become Overwatch League material. Then you go to South America and you look at 10 players and you're going to be like, huh, yeah, maybe I'm going to find one player that could be Overwatch League material. It's just that's how the regions are working pretty much. Korea has, there's a higher chance for you to find talented players in Korea than there is in Europe, for example. That doesn't mean that Korean contenders as the whole region is 100% better than EU contenders. It's just you're more likely to find a good player in Korean contenders than you're in EU contenders. And I, I feel like a lot of people should just stop looking at entire regions or start looking at teams and players. I'm tired of seeing people say, oh, yeah, Korean contenders are just so much better than EU contenders. No, maybe Runaway is going to be a better team than the top EU contenders team, but we can't know because Runaway has never played, let's say, Giganti. So how would we know that Runaway is so much better? But people just go into, into these thoughts with the assumption that Korea is definitely a better region, which might or might not be the case but there hasn't been definite proof to showcase the opposite. So I'm hoping that the LAN tournament, the Atlantic showdown that they're planning, is going to kind of blow that up a little bit. And we're going to stop having these region biases where everyone's like, eh, Australian contenders is shit, EU is a little bit better, Mm. NA is pretty good, and Korea is like the god contender of the region. Do do you think that that Korean bias has heavily influenced the current breakdown or makeup of players in overwatch league for example isn't it something like over 50 percent of the players in owl are currently korean 
do you think that that's necessarily a hundred percent down to those players skills or the fact that some owners some management teams some coaching staff have this korean bias in their head where they go this korean player is fundamental x korean player is fundamentally better than x european american uh, pacific player do you think that, that bias has really affected the makeup of al okay let me ask you how do you think tryouts are given out on a watch league team uh, from an out from an outside without any interior understanding i believe that the coaching staff or a member of coaching staff will understand what's um required from the team or what's required for the team to improve so they have a specific envision of a player that they need and then they go out and they find potential options which are then brought into trial with different makeups of the current roster to see where they may fit into it so it's yeah i mean essentially someone is going to look at a list of players and choose whoever they want to trial. So it's it's a human going in and being like, hey, I think this player is good, but there's no official measurement that really determines who is good. So it's obviously always subjective. It's not objective who gets a trial. That will never be the case. So if if a coach goes into tryouts and looking to try out players and for example, let's just assume he has a Korean bias, he's more likely to give tryouts to Korean players than he is to give tryouts to EU players. If we take Mayhem Academy when we were building that roster, I obviously, as an EU coach, I obviously had an EU bias. That's just, you know, I grew up in that region. I coach nothing but EU players. So naturally, I know more about EU players. So I suggested to try out apps. Mayhem Academy, like the rest of the coaching staff and the management was like, we don't know if he's good. Is it really worth giving him a tryout? And I was like, yeah, it is. And he like, he exceeded expectations and got the slot. If I wouldn't have been on that team, he might have not gotten that tryout, right? So I think a lot of the Overwatch League teams that go with a lot of Korean players might, on, might not have been having like a Korean bias and just gave naturally gave more Korean players a tryout than EU players. And that's gonna stay the same way if you hire a korean coach he's more likely to give korean players a tryout if you hire an na coach he's more likely to give na players a tryout that's usually how it goes so yeah i think partially not saying every team because i don't want to discredit players that got to the league if you got to the league you most likely deserve it and you're more than you know you deserve your spot you deserve to be in overwatch league but i also think at the back of my head Maybe we would have seen more EUNA players if we would have had that Atlantic showdown and the whole contenders bias as like the region bias would have been gone. I think we, we would see a lot more diversity in players. Mm. And I think that the one of the problems that that poses is that I don't think the makeup of Overwatch League can change back necessarily. And the reason I say that is because once you have a team like NYXL, who is full Korean, mm -hmm. it's very difficult for you to then implement a North American player, a European player into that roster. And when you're having success with a Korean roster, the status quo, you know, you're going to rely on it to keep having success. Same for sure, story yeah. for uh, Vancouver, same story for Toronto, same story for London Spitfire. These are full Korean rosters. And once you hit that position where you are a full 
singular region it's not necessarily have to be korean right once you mm-hmm. have that full like singular region identity as a team it can be really difficult to break that because of cultural language based divides that just naturally incur between players and i think that it's really good when we see uh, teams that can integrate players from different regions together i mean you just look at um philadelphia fusion for example that's the Mm -hmm. single most diverse team in the overwatch league but it also got to the grand finals and uh, of the first season that's like that's how i always envisioned the overwatch league as being this uh miss uh this melting pot of talent so when we have singular identity teams whether it's full american full european full korean personally i'm a little bit disappointed i don't know if you feel the same about that about having singular identities to teams i mean i i would i didn't for example i didn't build the florida main roster but i i would hope that every overwatch league team goes into tryouts the most unbiased way and just chooses the best player despite their region right i i hope that there's no team going into tryouts and be like we want a full korean roster we don't even bother giving out tryouts to any eu south american australian or chinese players but then i just you... hope that's not the case and i hope it's i hope like that's not what's happening as well but then i also stand understand the difficulty when you make a move like vancouver then you just pick mm-hmm. up the entire runaway roster you've already committed to a singular regional team and now you yeah. can't break that because you can't throw like Shax, for example, into that team and expect them to do well. Oh, for I, sure, yeah. And I, I think the proof is going to be in the pudding when we look at how uh, Charge does this season, where it's it's mostly from the Asian regions, and then for some reason, Kib's there. Yeah, that's like, going to be definitely interesting to see. That How they perform is a good metric of whether you can integrate Westerners into a majority Eastern team. Because in the past, especially in esports, we see it being done the other way around. We import these players west. We'd never send them east. Mm-hmm. For and sure, so, yeah. And, and so that's why I'm, I'm going to take particular interest in charge. And when I make these comments about Kib, I'm not making them because I don't think Kib is a good player. Kib's an amazing player, in my opinion. He's mm-hmm. one of the best we've exported from Europe. But it still, it doesn't matter which player you put in that situation. The language and cultural differences are going to pose problems, in my opinion. They will, yeah. It's definitely going to be interesting. Like they are not even. If you look at Philadelphia Fusion, mm. they they are mostly sure they're like mix and matching, like players and regions. But if you look at that roster, it's mostly EU mm. with Koreans mixed in. Mm. If we look at Charge, it's a North American player, a EU player, Chinese players, and Korean players all mixed in one roster. Mm while they have a full Korean coaching staff. So you mix and matching as many different cultures as you can possibly can in Overwatch. So I'm really excited to see how that will work out. You just need to get charged to hire maid, and then we kill, we solve two problems with one stone. We didn't get oceanic representation, but then we also get made a job. <laughs> we get made a job, yeah. He's been grinding for a long time and I hope he's gonna get picked up soon especially with the current coaching infrastructure there's a lot of it's it's always okay that's kind of difficult to say but there's a lot of coaches in overwatch but there's also a hacked on a lot of bad coaches in overwatch okay. so i'm just hoping that all the good coaches like made has proven himself to be a good coach get picked up and at least given a chance despite his 
his region being Australia. Hmm. Because there's obvious bias and you know I've I've I understand academy teams going into like, hey, we don't want you because we have to import you, right? If you're an academy team, you want to spend your money on the player. You don't want to spend your money on the coaches. So teams have certain budgets and certain amount of import slots when they build a roster. So it's very difficult for you to be picked up as a coach when you're an import coach. It's different when you're Korean because, again, there's like this slight Korean bias, you know, however you want to see it. Everyone who gets their shot at being hired deserves to be hired. They got hired for a reason. Whatever that reason might be, I just hope that he gets a shot despite being from Australia. Like I had a lot of interviews with a lot of teams until I finally got hired because a lot of teams didn't want to spend the money on importing me. That's just how it is. That's kind of the the threshold you have to pass as an import talent. But the same goes for players. If you get imported in a region, you have to be better than the local talent. Having been cycled through, like you said, you went and interviewed for multiple teams. Does that motivate you a little bit more to perform so you could kind of have that moment of, ah, you fucked up. You should have got me when you had the chance. Does that personally, like, uh, add an extra level of determination to you? Mm, Not really, honestly. No? I I just, I, at, at the beginning, when, like, you know, I was getting declined by teams and other coaches were getting picked up that you know everyone no matter who you ask you ask a player he's gonna be like i'm better than this player same for coaches if you ask a coach he's gonna be like i'm better than this coach so if i see a coach being picked up that i think is worse than me i just you know i was upset at the beginning but at the same time hiring decisions happen at multiple levels i'm from a country where job interviews for example it in germany a lot of job interviews are purely based on what you have on your paper so your degree your work experience whatever but for example something i had to learn if you want to get hired by an american employer you gotta have a different mindset because na culture is different than the culture i have in germany so i had to adapt to certain things in job interviews because i can't go into a job interview with an american employer and be like that's how i am that's what I have to offer. Hire me. That's that would work in Germany just fine. An American employer is going to be like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like, you're way too straightforward. So as soon as I learned that, getting hired was way easier. I went from having like zero offers to having multiple ones for multiple teams. Did you did you go to anyone for advice in that regard, or is it something you entirely, through self reflection of the situations, figured out, or did you like oh, go oh, to no. like? Did you go to like mentors and say, why are no, they like I, not I, looking at me, right? I had someone help me for sure. Uh, I, out of random coincidence, I happened to meet someone who worked in higher level management at companies, for example, Riot Games. So she gave me a lot of advice in terms of, hey, you're being way too straightforward. You know, that's how American hiring culture works. And that's how you should be looking at American interviews. And once I understood that, it was way easier to go through all the process because especially as a coach, as a player, you always get a tryout. You know, you being hired is not decided by an interview. You just, you get to tryout, you get to play and your gameplay ability is going to be judged, not your personality or how you like work with players. For coaches, it's a little bit different. 
if you're going to get hired as a coach, you usually go through an interview process like any regular job. And if you mess up in the interview process, you don't even get to show your work with players or with teams. And you get cut out right before you even get to show who you are as a coach. So once I kind of passed that hurdle, it was so much easier to get hired because then I actually got to show, hey, that's my work. That's what I did with this team. That's how much they improved here, blah, 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 blah. So being, learning to, I mean, at this base level, learning a bit of marketing is ultimately helps you get your foot in the door and then you can hit them with your accomplishments and what you can do for them. Yeah, for that, sure. I mean, I got declined from a team for not having a portfolio and I'm looking back at the, at the team making the decision. That's absolutely reasonable. They're looking at a coach and he doesn't even have work examples ready to show. Like, mm. that's just crazy. But back in the days, I was so focused on becoming a better coach, understanding more of the game, like learning new techniques, trying out different stuff to see what works better. I was so focused on the hard skills rather than the soft skills. So every coach that is on an unsigned team right now, you got to do both. Focus on the soft <laughs> skills and the hard skills, because if you just go into one department too much, you're going to lack in the other. And that's just part of being in esports. You got to find a way to present yourself properly. So a team is actually interested in hiring you. And for example, I got a lot of, not a lot of shit on Reddit, but someone posted the tweet, for example, when Eagle Gaming won contenders and they were upset about not getting tryouts. You guys didn't tweet once in the season. You played the same composition all this time. You were not interesting players from a marketing standpoint. And then on top of that, they went on Twitter to complain about not getting tryouts, which for a team looking at it, it's like, oh, so no other team is interested in that player either. So there must be a reason. So they, they were cutting out their chances of getting hired on their own. They this were deliberately marketing themselves in a way that is disadvantaged, disadvantageous oh, for them. Dude, you have no idea how, how many times I've seen like broadcast or aspiring casters tweet about how they don't get work. <laughs> And I sit there and I think, how like dumb are you? Because in its base value, I look at it and go, do you think like Coca-Cola makes a song and dance about how they didn't hit hit revenue targets for this quarter? <laughs> yeah. Do you think they crazy. like? Do you think they like? Do you think any business goes out there and kind of publicizes as much as possible beyond their own obligation to, obviously with like shareholders and things? Do you think they want to go out there and say that like, yeah, no one is buying our product? Like from just from like just have a think about it it's like if i wasn't getting any work i'm not tweeting that i'm not getting any work i'm still yeah, exactly. maintaining like a presence but i don't make it about work i make it about what i'm doing to develop myself because that is completely abstract away from work but what if someone comes to my profile and looks at it they see that i'm into self-development and so that that's actually beneficial to them if they're looking to potentially hire me and the same thing obviously i didn't realize it was happening necessarily with players so i didn't think to apply it to that what you're saying about Eagle makes like total sense. If they weren't tweeting and having that presence, because whether players like it or not, and how much weight you put into it, marketability is definitely a factor in your playing career now. It's the nature of esports. And if your only online presence is, why won't anyone give me a trial? Yeah, <laughs> that's like, just rough. You're like, it, it, it's, it's not going to benefit you in any way. Yeah, it's counterintuitive to what you're trying to achieve. And. Like I said to you, it's, it's the same thing with like aspiring casters. I, I mean, I don't see it a lot anymore, but I used to see a lot of casters complaining that they 
no one will hire them or uh, you know or they're just going through like a dry spell why would someone want to hire a caster that's out of practice why would someone want to hire a player that no one else wants to touch because the assumption is there's a reason no one's looking at you yeah and and i get where they were coming from i know how frustrating that is to be overlooked in your opinion obviously like it's very subjective to say i'm being overlooked because no, if you're being overlooked and not hit up for a job, you must have messed up. For example, I was a complete no-name in Season 1 of Contenders, but I got hit up for jobs regardless of being a no-name, right? So I must have done something right. Teams were looking at Young and Beautiful and see, oh, this guy's losing a, a player each week or even multiple players each week. But somehow he still manages to make sure that they qualify for playoffs, which is obviously a plus. So even if you don't necessarily win contenders, a coach looking to hire a coach or management looking to hire a coach, they see the small details. I had a friend of mine, he were, he put himself out of a job based on one tweet where he said something that made him look unconfident in his own coaching ability. And that team, like the team looking to hire him, looked at this like, if he's doubting himself already, what does that mean further down the road when, for example, things go wrong? And that one single tweet made him miss a job opportunity. And a lot of players don't think about it that way. I see so many people in EU tweet out stuff about Overwatch path to pro Omega low. No matter what you think about the path to pro, tweeting that out is just going to make you less desirable. If that's your online presence huh doing a bad job with the path to pro regardless of your opinion it's not going to make you look good yeah it's um that there's that team in open division in europe called path to poverty like yeah. what, are you, what are you doing <laughs> like you're you're pretty much canceling any chance you ever had to get picked up by a non-academy team and get a little bit of pay nobody's going to pick you up nobody's going to be like ha, oh, that's a funny meme let's hire all these guys do you think, like, the actual meme team names are, like, they're okay? Like, there's one in EU right now called Gibby from iCarly. <laughs> like, sure, just, why not? That's funny. Like, 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 yeah, it... like I, I'm totally behind stuff like that happening. I think it's frustrating because, for me personally, I'd prefer them to em I... emulate where you want to be by having, like, almost, like, a, a serious position. But I can get behind, like, just having a meme team, right? Let's be real. I come from a team called Young and Beautiful, and our logo is a smiling purple sun with flowers in the background. That's not the top marketing you're looking for, but it's not negative in any way. It's just mm -hmm. a funny logo with some wonky colors, but no, no management is going to look at that. Ooh, that's going to hurt us in any way. It's just, you know, they're an unsigned team. They are having a little bit of fun. That's it. There's no negative, mm -hmm. no negative attributes to the logo or the name. Orglis and Hungry, I think the name is hilarious. The logo is perfect, but it's it's fine, right? Yeah. Orglis, they're not making money, they're hungry. It's cool. Like that's a cool logo. And it's not negative in any way. So they get away with it. Razor Ramen's a great hashtag as well. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, they're they're having a little bit of fun with it. That's fine. Yeah. But something like Path to Poverty that's clearly shooting at Blizzard for their path to pro being bad but then again people complain all the time oh, i'm a tier two player in contenders why am i not being paid the threshold to get into contenders is pretty low it's pretty i know that sounds cocky but it's pretty easy to get into contenders in a lot of regions 
I think it's even easy to get into contenders in EU. Why do you think you deserve to be uh, to be paid several thousand dollars just because you are in contenders when the threshold is so low to get there? Other players in other esports titles, if the threshold is low to get where you are, chances are you're not going to be paid. That's the same in Rocket League, CSGO, Rainbow Six, whatever title you look at. You got to work to get paid. You got to be good at what you do. Do you think that the reduction of team size for next season was necessary then? Because I, I, I personally think it was. I think we had I, too many I teams at the well. bottom that were just like... Uh, the, I would look at certain teams when it came to preparation and go, oh, that means this team basically has a free win this week. Like, Again, if, if we take my team, for example, EU Contenders Trials Season 1, we only got in because we got lucky that so many teams got picked up. I'll be honest. Like, if they would have the rules established that they are trying right now with cutting teams, we wouldn't have gotten in. We literally just barely scraped by to get in, which again, we happen to perform in contenders, but that's not to be said about any team. Mm. If you barely scrape by, there's a high chance you're not going to be performing in contenders as well. And all these dead teams, you kind of look at, if you were a team in a rough position and you don't know if you're going to make it, there's always these teams in contenders where you're like, yeah, but these guys are a free win. If we get that win, we are still in it. Mm. And that shouldn't be the case. You shouldn't be looking at weaker teams to be like, that's a free win, and I need that win to have my two wins and a couple of map wins to re-qualify for the next contender season. So cutting that out is going to obviously make it way rougher to stay in contenders and to get into contenders. But at the same time, all the top talent is going to stay in contenders. Even mm. if your team gets relegated, if you do well, there's a decent chance you're going to be picked up regardless. Yeah, and it's it's to me, it's down to do with what we were talking about earlier with the, the concentration and the saturation of talent, right? Because they, the, the thought process being is that we have good talent on those lower level teams. But the problem is, is because they're scattered over X amount of different teams, mm -hmm. they're unable to raise to a higher level. Whereas if we were to take the best parts of those four teams that are no longer going to be in contenders and put them together, you could make a competitive team. That's the argument that I like to pose why I think this is a good change, is that mm -hmm. we're going to, um, to bring the talent and concentrate it better so that we can have more competitive matchups and ultimately create this um, uh, this echo chamber of good, uh, highly competitive teams that's really going to accelerate personal development. At least that's what it's supposed to be on paper. We can't tell that's mm -hmm. going to be the definitive result until we get into it. And I think a lot of people are forget that the path to pro isn't walked by teams, it's walked by players. And so, when, yeah. so like when an entire unsigned org team can no longer get back into contenders, I, I don't really shed that many tears. I, I, I feel for the players who can no longer compete at that level, but then I celebrate the players who are on a fundamentally better team that are going to progress at a lot faster rate and are more likely to hit their goals of Overwatch League. Yeah, and I, I think that's just one thing that players as well as coaches have to understand you know i i loved working with every single one in young and beautiful but i told them straight up i'm using this team as a, like as a springboard i'm not trying to stay here i'm not trying to get all of you with me into overwatch league i'm trying to progress my own career so 
after season two of Contenders, I said, you know, guys, I'm out. You know, there's no point in me staying with you any longer. And I'm going to try to get picked up by an academy team. And I wouldn't have blamed a single player. For example, season one of Contenders, Danny and Spoxes got picked up by Mosaic Esports, you know, aside the whole scandal hmm. surrounding the team from like they went up to me it's like do i take that offer or not and i'm like you take that offer it's a potential offer that's going to get you paid i couldn't care less about young and beautiful losing as long as you succeed hmm. and you succeeding is way more important than any team doing well because you are not responsible for other people's career you are responsible for your own career and your career should always take top priority so if you get an opportunity to climb the ladder further up you take that opportunity some people might not explain that that concept very well because it's if you really if you don't think about it too much it sounds very selfish to have that attitude mm -hmm. but the sometimes i've had to explain this in casting as well is that if i'm doing a job that might be slightly longer term and i've got somewhere i want to be in particular or some change i have to make something that i know could go through someone i work with head is basically well what's his commitment to trying to work and make this a good product well the same logic applies to what you were doing with young and beautiful which is that every thing that i do is evidence of my ability so why would i phone it in for something to then have that be a mark on my record that says this guy can't perform so in a way that selfishness in the the drive to succeed in itself is a guarantee to others that you're going to play ball with them and try and make it work. Because if the team succeeds, you look better and ultimately mm -hmm. it benefits you. So it's this really weird thing of selfishness creating teamwork, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, f for me, like I was spending a lot of time on tier three teams before I finally decided to make my push towards like actual like good teams. Because for me, I'm someone that if I do work, I want to do it well. I don't want to be that coach that is like, eh, the players are kind of thinking, what, what is he saying? He doesn't make sense. So I spent a lot of time trying out different ways to coach before I even made that push. So when I finally got the opportunity to go into contenders trials, like I tried so hard every single day. I was working full time as well on the side. So I would come home after eight or nine days, uh, eight, eight or nine hours of working and had to coach on top of that. But I never let the players know, you know, I'm tired. I don't even want to coach anymore because I'm responsible for them and I want them to succeed just as much as I want to succeed, which is something a lot of teams don't seem to do a lot. Like, I feel like a lot of coaches especially try to look good rather than try to actually develop players. I mean, they, they, the, the, I guess, um, in a way, when you're a coach, the the success of the players is a testament to your skill. So the better, you, the, well, not necessarily the better your players, but the more you can create an improvement in your players or the team as a whole in a set period of time, surely is the evidence of your skill as a coach. Yeah, I'm, I think it's just I personally... That's from my experience. I got hired because people said good things about me. The scene is like tightly knit. Everyone knows each other. So if a player, like I went into a tryout for an academy team and I did really well, 
So now I earned another six, seven, eight players that know me and know, hey, he's a good coach. He did good work with me. So that means a lot more to me than any good contenders finish, for example. If I, for let's say my academy run with MAME Academy, we went one and four. You would think that the players, you know, players hate losing. Every player you're going to ask, they hate losing. Everyone hates losing. So if I, after going one and four in contenders with MAME Academy, if the players can look at me with a smile on their face and say, hey, we really enjoyed working with you. You are a good coach. I did good work. I don't care if Reddit thinks, oh, he's a bad coach. He went one and four. As long as every single player on that roster looks at me and thinks I'm a good coach, I get way more out of it than anything in the world. Because Reddit is not determining my market value. The scene is determining my market value. So if the scene thinks I'm good, I'm probably going to get paid way better. So it's, it's the same thing from a broadcasting point of view, except there's a little bit more that goes into it with like how the community receives you. Because yeah. while, while the community and an audience doesn't, for example, have control over my value as a broadcaster, the ultimately, ultimately they are the audience of the product. So if I've created enough negative sentiment that people will fundamentally refuse to watch products because I'm oh, on yeah, them, sure. then that has a negative weight, which can impact my career. I suppose the luxury of the coaching decision is that like the team itself is not interested necessarily in that small negative feedback they might get from hiring a disliked coach from the community because the performance that that coach could bring to the team would ultimately outweigh what happens. And even if you don't necessarily, uh, I'm not saying this case, even if you didn't have, even if you got picked up onto Florida Mayhem and you had some Florida Mayhem fans who didn't like you, them not tuning in just because you're a part of the team, they wanted to boycott, for example. For sure. Isn't, That's gonna... isn't going to impact it as much as the benefits you as an individual brings to your team, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the general public opinion obviously matters to a certain degree, mm. but they don't have as much impact as they might think they have. Yes. If you are a generally disliked coach, there's a very high chance teams are going to be careful picking you up which adds another threshold of being hired. Mm. There's a lot of thresholds you have to pass already. So if you can avoid adding another threshold you have to pass to get hired, obviously try to avoid it at all costs. Here's the catch-22 of it as well. When we say that the audience doesn't necessarily have as much power as they think they have, that's not always for negative decisions. That's also for positive ones as well. For you sure, could, yeah. You could go Promise is the best coach in North America. You could go Trid is the best caster in Europe. But it doesn't... There's a high chance Florida May management doesn't give a shit. Yeah, it's no. a high chance that Blizzard doesn't give a fuck about that either. Like, yeah. Blizzard gives a fuck about what I bring to their product and whether I am representing their brand in the correct way. That's what they care about. They don't. Yeah. They they will put some weight into how the community receives us, but it is by far and away the one of the least important factors of the hiring decision, in my opinion, or from my experience. In, in general, being hired in esports, you should always think about how you're gonna be perceived. Mm. That's simply how is gonna how is a team gonna perceive you? How is a fan gonna perceive you? How is a player gonna perceive you? That should be on your mind. Mm -hmm. even if you think you're the best coach in the world if your player thinks you're a dick you're not going to get hired 
a lot of coaching hiring decisions are happening because someone heard something good about you. For example, if I work with Shu, Shu likes my work. If he goes to a different team, for example, San Francisco Shock, and he says, hey, Promise is a good coach, there's a higher chance for me to get hired by San Francisco Shock than if I would have never worked with Shu before. That's so in general, always try to have like a general good perception about you absolutely when we say that we you don't have as much power as you think you do it doesn't mean we don't want to make you happy and we don't yeah, want exactly. to have the good reception because good reception and having people uh, praise your abilities uh, as a coach a player an analyst a content creator a caster whatever always feels good right people don't want to surround themselves with hate innately so definitely like so it, it you know we will obviously try to make as many people happy and have that uh, good sentiment as possible but I, I i i you've reminded me there of something i didn't think about is that at some point this season mayhem is going to play shock so you are going to play against shoes team does that are you gonna like i don't know wager something against each other like put have a, like a fun bet or something to do nah probably yeah. not i mean again I don't want to make that seem as an excuse, but again, like both Shu and I are in positions in our teams where we're not going to have the major impact on the team. We're not making the decisions. I'm not the head coach who is an analyst. So we're going to have to play by the rules. So it, it would be different if we would both be head coaches for teams, because then it matters much more. You have a lot more impact on the team. You can make, you can force your own system on the team your own way of coaching so i think it's just we're both in supportive roles rather than leading roles right now if that ever changes if he ever becomes the head coach of a team and i'm going to be the head coach of another team and we play against each other you can for sure bet we're going to trash talk each other for sure <laughs> that's that's actually brings us on to a good point then with mayhem is like if you're not the head coach you're obviously in an assistant coaching role what would you say your, your responsibilities are in that position within the current makeup of the team? Mm, I mean, right now I'm working very closely with Mineral. At the beginning, he was a little bit skeptical. Just like if you ever meet a, if a coach meets another coach, you're going to be skeptical. That's just like if you are a caster and you meet another caster, you're going to be skeptical of their work. Got to see how they work first until you trust them but right now we're at a point where we just we get along well we work with each other well i do my i do the things i think is going to make the team work better as well as he does his thing and we just kind of work alongside each other but i'm i'm gonna be mainly responsible for like scouting reports and like supporting mineral as much as possible rather than being the front face of the team and working like leading the players which i'm used to so for me transitioning into an assistant coach position is obviously a new challenge since i've never been an assistant coach before i've always been the head coach is there a sense of relief uh, removing the responsibility of leadership from yourself is there almost like a does it allow you to focus more on your role knowing that you are not dictating the overall direction of the team or does does that like lack of control generate some kind of anxiety for you no, I think it's 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 less of an anxiety, but for me, it's just something very natural, like to take charge and structure a team the way I want it to work. So for me, it's obviously a little bit uncomfortable right now, but I'm getting used to it. What 
makes the assistant coaching position attractive right now is that I'm finally out of like the shooting lines. I can just do my work and people are not going to make me like going to make me solely responsible for how the team is doing. If you're a head coach, you're pretty much putting your head out there. And if you don't do well, it's going to get chopped off. So me not having to put my head out there right now is something I really enjoy. So I can finally like settle down, relax. Like the main Academy season was obviously very stressful for me. Mm. We're losing. It's my debut season in NA contenders. Everyone is looking at me and we're not doing well. So naturally it's super stressful for me. So getting rid of that stress and being more able to focus on, Hey, I'm going to focus just on my work and I'm going to try to make the best work possible is very relaxing right now for me. Mm. doesn't make me complacent. It doesn't make me lazy. It's just kind of an upside of being an assistant coach rather than a head coach. You give up control for a little bit less responsibility. But is that is that head coach role, whether it's with Mayhem or even down the line, potentially with another team, is that the final destination for you in your Overwatch League career, would you say? Is that where you really want to be as a head coach of an Overwatch League team? Is that I'm not sure if that's going to be like the final destination. Maybe I'm going to end up moving into management. Maybe I'm going to end up not even working with a team anymore, but going to continue working in esports. But right now, for sure, like I'm going to aim for that head coach position. That being said, I'm 21. So naturally, it's going to be a little bit more difficult considering a lot of the head coaches are older than their players. I'm most of the time just as old as my players or like slightly older. Does that pose difficulty for you, your age? Not at all. For me so far, I mean, Reprise is, I don't know how old he is actually, but he's, you know, he's way older than me. He's at the end of his 20s. I'm just barely at the beginning of my 20s, but we got along just fine. Fact Fiction is older than me. We got along just fine. I think if you do good work and your players generally think that every decision you make is in their best interest, they don't care about how old you are. You could be 20 eight you could be 20 it doesn't matter i think what matters is you got to have some sort of life experience you're not going to be the head coach if you barely turned 18 you're just out of high school you've never worked a full-time job you don't know how the world works you're not going to be a head coach i worked full-time i went through that all i'm used to company cultures and rules and whatever so i'm used to that so i think that helped me a lot in terms of head coaching so for anyone who's like very young you're probably going to settle for an assistant coach on analyst position. That's just the reality. Hmm. Yeah, so you do, out of the people I speak to in Overwatch, you do come across as one of the more uh, mm-hmm. mature ones, even despite like your age. I wasn't certain if you were actually 21 or not, because I wasn't sure of your age. I knew you were around that period. And quite frankly, I'm relieved for you, because you're going from Germany to the United States where the legal drinking age suddenly becomes 21. If you're in that sweet spot of 18 to 21, That's you're going to have a bad time, right? That's to true. To suddenly have a... At that point, it's a right for you to be able to drink alcohol, just be removed from you when you move to the States. Yeah. I, I definitely prefer my life in the United States. Do you? Like, so far. Because you're, you're obviously going to be based in the in the LA area because that's where the entire like ecosystem yeah. is. What what is it about living in LA that really does it for you? Is it is it the weather, the culture, the people? What's like really appealing I about think that for you? It's just like I'm at home right now for a quick trip home before I go back to LA. For me, it's just 
when you wake up in a in LA, there's always something to do. Like you never get bored. If you don't have scrims, you have a lot of like like-minded people that love esports and Overwatch to hang out with. No matter who you meet, you always have like this mutual connection of hey, you are in Overwatch League, I'm in Overwatch League, or hey, you in Overwatch League, I'm in Contenders. We both have like the same idea compared to in Germany. I was kind of living two lives at once where I'm like in the morning, I go to my usual work, you know, I do my full-time nine to five job. And then I'm working in esports at night. Nobody has any idea in Germany what esports is. Like they're looking at it's like, you do video games? Come on, like grow up. And since I got to LA, it's just everyone thinks the same way as I do. So it's a lot easier to get along and the days are a lot more fun and exciting. I think that's one of the biggest problems that I have is that like obviously I live in a fixed location in the UK mm-hmm. and then for like eight weeks of the year, well it's gonna be eight weeks, um, you know, this time around, I have to just uproot my life and move to Kiev and I'm locked in that position with the same four or five people, you know, uh, for that long period of time and then I go back to to like go living that isolation. So if you know what I mean, I have that transition mm-hmm. between your LA life and like your your Germany life much more frequently and so i can really sympathize with the the duality that kind of comes with living in your homeland when you have to like look at esports and and everything else you have to do and weigh up all those responsibilities it's it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot but it is kind of weird and it can be difficult to deal with right so i can understand the comfort of la to you when you do have that constant lifestyle of people around you who are just engaged in the same things as you are right yeah just makes everything a lot easier as well. I don't have to work 14 hours a day anymore. I still have, like Overwatch League, not gonna lie, you have a pretty brutal schedule. It's not gonna be easy going. You're gonna have to work long hours and you're gonna have to work hard, but it's something I generally enjoy compared to my IT job. I like IT, I like working IT, but it's still work. It still feels like work to you. You're still in an eight hour office job compared to esports. I don't care if I work 10 or 12 hours, it's still going to be fun for me. And if you do something you like doing every single day, waking up every day is going to feel much, much easier. Will you still say the same thing if Mayhem doesn't perform this season? Sure. I mean, Mayhem Academy didn't perform, but I still enjoyed working with them every single day. Hmm. Is that what you... Have you actually worked with the main roster yet, or are you going to jump into that when you get back to LA? Oh no, I worked with them before they got to know me. Mm-hmm. I led bot reviews with them before. Like, I worked with them for like three or four days. I think on my first day working with them, we had like a Blizzard camera crew all the way, <laughs> like running through the whole practice facility. So it was definitely something I'm going to have to get used to is having cameras pointed at your face at all times, every time. There's a lot more people looking at me right now than they were previously so there's obviously added pressure do you know what you should do because uh, mm-hmm. i noticed you don't do this a lot on your socials in particular you should take you should ask for a still from that footage of you coaching and put it on your social media profile because even now when we're having this chat over discord the logo <laughs> yeah. that says your name right yeah you, you came across as someone who's very conscious about the the marketability of yourself and the online presence of yourself for sure and i feel yeah. like it's dead like it's very important nowadays to have that 
real life photos so i like within the next I couple totally of weeks agree. within the next couple of weeks i want to see your images across your platforms replaced with an actual photo of you <laughs> that that is definitely the goal that's why i'm like <laughs> starting to do like more content right now in yeah. contenders it doesn't matter as much but once you get into the overwatch league you just have to market yourself properly so that's you know having an actual photo of yourself is definitely like part of good social media marketing yeah what are your like beyond just overwatch league development you got anything you're working on like personally this year because i can straight up tell you the things i'm working on it's like i want to read more i obviously want to lose some weight and um and i want to focus on being more productive and develop new skills so that's like my goals for this entire year and it could be taken step by step have you got anything like outside of your work that you're personally developing on this year Mm, it's mainly for me right now is I, I never had like weight issues or anything, mm -hmm. but I want to get a regular schedule with regular exercise. I never had the opportunity before. And because honestly, if you work eight hours and you coach six hours, I'm not going to go outside and go to the gym or anything. I'm kind of done with my day. I don't mm -hmm. want to do anymore. Or right now, I mean, that's going to be part of our Overwatch League schedule regardless. Regular like gym visits for every mm -hmm. player and the coaching staff. So that's the first thing that I just want to like get out. As well as I'm probably going to look into, now that I have a little bit more time, a little bit more freedom, as well as you know, the financial means, probably going to look to either learn another language mm -hmm. or pick up a different instrument. I played drums and trumpet before. But I'm probably kind of want to look into guitars as well as I'm planning on getting a tattoo as well. So you already played two more instruments than me. The instrument thing <laughs> hasn't instrument thing hasn't really hit me. Uh, I think when I was younger, I tried learning the guitar for a bit, and then I tried learning the drums when I got to like secondary school. But I mean, the, the one thing I've got sat in my, like, closet is a ukulele I got for Christmas mm. like, a couple of years ago, and I never learned to play it, and it's always bugged me. So maybe a couple months into this year, or maybe when I'm just in Kiev and I want to annoy the rest of the casters who ultimately end up out there, assuming, <laughs> assume, I have to clarify this, assuming that I'm going to be back next year, that that I happens. hope you will. I mean, so do I, man. I quite like working on contenders. Um, but like bringing the ukulele might be a good tool to wind up whoever's out there with me. Because I'm going to level with you, man. Like we both know that Dez is gone, right? And yeah, I, that's a bummer. It's a bummer. I know you two got on really well, right? And so while I can't go into too many details, I can say that the options for replacements are being explored right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's been fun meeting those different options and seeing what we could potentially create mm -hmm. if we wanted to like move ahead with that into the next season um so you know man, I, i'm excited to what could take shape next year if everything goes ahead uh, based off some initial first impressions i've got but that's just on my end man like what's what's kind of your expectations of the year for you i mean I just kind of want to get to meet a lot of the people that I know based on the in-game name, but I never really got to know them personally. So I'm I'm gonna I'm hoping that I have the time to attend Overwatch League games live as well, not just backstage as part of my work, but in general be able to just sit down, 
talk to people who enjoy Overwatch League, who might, you know, not work in Overwatch League, but just watch it regularly, like get to know the fans, get to talk to people who just enjoy watching the game and the product of Overwatch League itself. It's just surreal for me when I got here in LA and it's just like fact fiction comes back after scrims and walks into our apartment with clone man. I'm like, whoa, I've never met other players. It's definitely BlizzCon as well. You walk past, I see you for the first time at BlizzCon. <laughs> Just so surreal to yep. add faces to all the online names that you worked with all this time. Yeah, it's, it is quite bizarre. But I mean, I think, because I'd been out to LA a couple of weeks before, well, a couple of months beforehand to go to the LA group stage, I'd already met a lot of people face to face for like the first time. I think yours was the one that I hadn't actually met yet. And so I was really caught off guard when you just pulled me aside when we were in that outside <laughs> bit. I was like, who the yeah. hell is this? And like I said, because you don't have that image of yourself online. Yeah, I didn't sure. even have like a rough idea of what you looked like. So then when you pull me aside, I'm like, who is this guy talking to me? Is it a fan? I don't know what's going on. Hey, how you doing, man? And you're like, oh, it's Promise. You got a German accent. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like it's this guy. Oh, hey, yeah. man, how you doing? You know, it takes yeah. like a couple of seconds to get it together. For sure. Like, I had several moments where someone walked up to me and it's like, hey, I'm fire. I'm like, fire? Oh, envious fire. And then it like clicks in your head and you're like, oh, yeah, good to meet you. Mm. It's just surreal. And I love it. It's like Jane walks past me. I know Jane. I know how he looks like, but I never met him in person. Right? It's very fun to meet a lot of people. Unfortunately, only the World Cup players on at BlizzCon had backstage passes. So oh. a lot of a lot of the other players or the other coaches, we we couldn't go backstage, and all the people we knew were backstage. Yeah, right? I, so I, was... I I didn't get backstage. I went on stage at the World Cup, but they still true. Didn't I give saw me, they, they still didn't give me backstage, even though I worked. Like I, I that's mean, so was, weird. It's a five five minute conversation. You know, it's not the the most of it, and it was basically organized about an hour before it happened um because I, let's be honest the only reason i was on stage is because the uk actually <laughs> won their first round which yeah. no one saw coming <laughs> like um so you know no Blizz, blizzcon was fun but uh, the problem i have with blizzcon is that like i would only ever give a fuck about overwatch mm -hmm. so like, yeah true uh, it feels like a partial wasted opportunity because i'm not as engaged with the blizzard ecosystem as like other people are who would go to blizzcon where yeah. they can be really excited about some starcraft announcement or something with heroes of the storm right i'm, I'm very much like only got like one commitment to blizzard and that's in the form of overwatch yeah uh it's for me it was like the opposite i'm mm -hmm. i'm very engaged in like starcraft 2 as well mm -hmm. i played it myself i know almost all the players so i wanted to watch starcraft so bad but i was with my team like Mame academy with like part of Mame academy not everyone so they were like more interested in overwatch so i was kind of like split in between i kind of wanted to watch starcraft as well but at the same time i don't want to watch starcraft alone and they want to watch overwatch mm. i just hope that if anyone from blizzard's gonna listen to that is just give every pro player that is in contenders or like on an academy team or an Overwatch League team, just come on, like give them a backstage pass, make them feel special for once. But then if it's... you work, if you work out the quantity of like, if you did contenders and our players who were in the area to go to BlizzCon, if you worked out the maximum like r potential there is for people who would require those passes, you can understand why they wouldn't do it. 
<laughs> I mean, the passes are printed out. Come on, it's not. No, 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 no. That it's, it's not. It's, 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 no, it's not to do with value. It's to do with capacity. You see I th- what I mean? I think, yeah, but I think you're overestimating the amount of people like attending BlizzCon, like actual yeah, players. Maybe. I, I think it would have still been fine. Obviously, if you take every academy player, every academy <laughs> coach, and every Overwatch League player and coach, obviously, like we're gonna run into problems. There's just too many people. Sardines but, uh, in a can, basically. You know, it's just surreal to stand in queue with harry hook and look at him it's like <laughs> you know man like we gotta queue up just like everyone else here and then you see a world cup player run past with his bet you're straight past the line into the backstage area it's like man it's like you know <laughs> just because he plays world cup he gets like the preferential treatment i think they just could market it a lot more it's like hey just set up some booth somewhere and be like hey you're gonna get an hour time slot just let players sit down let fans come up ask questions just mm. like you have the pro players attend and pay their own tickets <laughs> and you don't make use of that in any way i don't even want them to pay my ticket or anything i gladly spend the money to attend blizzcon but it's kind of surreal to be like oh yeah ksp is with the uk world cup team but i didn't get to meet him because he's backstage even though he was a player that i coached you know i only <laughs> I only coincidentally got to meet Ben Best because he walked past. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten to meet Ben Best either, mm. someone that I coached for half a year. <laughs> that, that's, that's just a dumb thing and shouldn't and, be a thing. Hey, man, you're going to end up meeting up with Ben Best at some point. So I think the Eternal guys are all out there now, right? They're in LA. Yeah. So when you go back out be. there, you could basically do the runs of all the players you've coached that have gone to Al at this point. For like sure. Who, who, like who who is un, who is under the the tutelage of promise that has made it into Al right now? So who how many visits sure. would you have to make? Because you got I Ben Best. I think it's pretty much only Ben Best. All right, so there's only one then. I thought there was more. No, all the other are still out there grinding. Yeah, they're on that grind, and I'm, mm. I'm curious to see what happens with like roster changes, especially in EU moving into like next uh next season because what is it you had paris eternals uh gm basically come out and say hey we're gonna pull the trigger on contenders now like he tweeted it it wasn't an official announcement right so it could still change but it looks like we're gonna see it a paris eternal academy in eu so there's very likely gonna be a a paris eternal academy team i I don't think you pick up an entire eu roster then like deny the option of having an academy team in europe and creating that direct line of progression for sure and it's like especially eu contenders you're just making a great move there's only british hurricane so you're adding another team that's mm-hmm. going to be paid full-time which is obviously great for eu as a region mm-hmm. we're a quarter academy team boys now <laughs> so, hell yeah so like let's hope that 2020 has another expansion we have a bit of an eu focus maybe we can even push it to half who knows <laughs> yeah i hope there's going to be more eu teams I mean, I'm pretty sure the investor of Paris Eternal is American, I think. So Same thing with of, London Spitfire, though, right? Yeah, same with London Spitfire. So we got to see how that turns out. It's just, I think EU, EU investors are a little bit more careful yeah. right now, especially with, like, the esports landscape. It's just, it starts to grow now in all of Europe. But there's obviously, if you look at Sweden, it's a huge esports country. You, do, you look at Germany politicians are not just now realizing esports is a thing and they officially recognize esports as their their own industry right that's where we are in germany right now in terms of esports infrastructure 
Germany's becoming a hub of esports now because obviously you've got LEC there, right? So yeah, you've got like, for League sure. of Legends. We, you got Gamescom. You got, got Gamescom. LEC. You've actually as well. I've heard rumors. I don't know if this confirmed that like PUBG League is also for Europe anyway is going to be based in Germany as well. Mm. So you're creating I mean, like a hub of esports in Central Europe, which is always going to be beneficial because then you start like having a, just a condensed area where like la for example where there's a lot of low geolocated esports you're gonna have mm -hmm. that in europe but have it in germany and having that hub is really productive for uh, a lot of different aspects of the industry yeah but for for germany to be a hub of esports we got we got a long way to go the internet the internet infrastructure is terrible politicians are way too slow to realize what esports even is so we got a lot of work to do if we want Germany to be an esports hub. It just happened that Gamescom is there and that for some reason Riot Games decided EULCS is going to be in Berlin for some reason. I mean, it was in Cologne. I remember when they moved that, right? Because it was, I think yeah. the old arrangement was that ESL was uh, handling that for them the, uh, in season three when they announced the LCS. And then yeah, when they yeah. were like, we're going to move it over to Berlin, they then obviously severed ties with ESL and took it in-house like they did with a lot of their leagues. Mm -hmm. um, yeah so i don't know i've been over to berlin i haven't been over to berlin since they rebranded to lec um because that's only happened a couple of weeks ago but uh one of, one of good friends of mine medic works as a caster for lec mm, so yeah. sometimes i'd like to go over there and you know support him because you know it's kind of the kind of guy i am right <laughs> i like to go see what my friends are doing and take an interest in it for sure like also, the whole yeah. traveling aspects of esports i'm getting used to now yeah you do like you don't think about it right when you yeah. start out and then when you actually have to start moving around you you become very um attuned to traveling i think that like my dad asked me the question recently is like do you even get like is there any kind of buzz for you going on a plane anymore and the way no, i described it's kind it of whatever <laughs> i was like i was like it's the same thing as like catching a train at this point it's just a different actually of transport right you don't yeah. think about it like yeah there's longer steps on either side because of like security and stuff but it's just like any other mode of transport for me at the point. It's not like, oh, I'm going on holiday to a different country. It's just, yeah, I've, got sure. to, I've got to take this bus to get to work has now become, I've got to take this plane to get to work. Yeah, it was definitely. Like when I go to holidays, like going for going on a plane has always been like kind of a highlight. It doesn't happen as often. Mm -hmm. Now I fly to LA, I fly back to Germany. I take like multiple flights. Just it's kind of annoying. Yeah, it becomes degree. an inconvenience, like, right? Yeah, it's like I don't want to sit in an airplane somewhere ten thousand meters up in the air for ten hours. It's kind of annoying. I don't want to take that plane, yeah, but you kind of have to. Here's it's such a first world problem as well because it's like, oh no, I get to travel halfway across the planet. And it's so exhausting. Yeah. So like, there's only a set sure. amount of people who like complain about that, and then people who don't sympathize with it because they um, they're not have the luxury or privilege of having the same things we do are then like oh you motherfuckers you're complaining about being able to like fly to la like come on like, yeah it's like it's so surreal to tell people oh yeah i'm only here for seven days and then i have to fly back to la so annoying it's like they yeah. look at you it's like are you serious yeah like, <laughs> so it's like come on <laughs> they want to 
they would kill to fly to LA and spend some time there. I'm annoyed to fly back. Yeah. Do you do you do that thing where you go through airport security now, or have you flown enough times where you go through airport security and you get frustrated that people who are like it looks like they're taking oh, their sure. first flight and they just take ages at security and like how do oh, you not like, how do you not understand uh, yeah. this basic thing? Like put liquids in a see-through bag, seal it, move it to the side. Electronic yeah, like, devices I, out of your bags. <laughs> it's just I'm standing in in the queue for the airport security and i'm already like grabbing my bag and preparing everything so that i spend the least amount of time possible for example when I, I flew back to germany i was already like putting off my shoes while putting out the electronics on like in the boxes for them to scan like i was doing multiple things at the same time and then it's like the woman before me the the security was like, hey, you got to throw that water bottle away. I was like, why didn't you do that five minutes earlier? You know you can't take that with you. you know? it's, it's very, um, very it's annoying. Thing, TSA, <laughs> TSA are really weird. Like, when I fly out from the UK, the shoe thing is never an issue. Right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's only, only the Americans for some it's reason. It's an American thing, yeah. They take your shoes off. Like, why? Like, <laughs> I, I went into the full body scanner, and I had nothing on me. I, I was literally just in the Overwatch League joggers. Yeah. And uh, which, the are, system, which are amazing, by the way. Right? They are How so comfortable, comfortable are they? They are <laughs> so comfortable. But the, the system said to them, oh, I have something around my ankles. So I literally pulled up my pants and there's nothing. But they're like, no, we have, to, we have to check. So I was waiting there for five minutes for this dude to wrap up with the other guy to just put his hand on my ankle and be like, yeah, there's nothing. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I told you already, there's nothing. Yeah. Better, 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 you know, better, we complain about it, but better to be safe than sorry, you know, all that. That's jazz. true. Yeah. Anyway, but, man. Yeah. I was going to say, like, uh, I think we should probably just start wrapping up. I've taken, like, an hour and a half true. of your time, like, and I've hit that because we said, like, we'd try and do it between, like, one and three your time, and, like, we've gone slightly over three o'clock, but that's, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Anyway, man, like, uh, thanks for hanging out and stuff. Like, it, some, of the stuff, some of the stuff you were telling me is, like, you don't, you don't think about it so you have like a you have a unique perspective on certain things and it's always good to try and find those you know for sure